We're going to start in Proverbs chapter 28. We'll look at some other passages as well as we move through this evening. But Proverbs chapter 28. And I was going to share this message last Sunday night, but then um, sort of last minute found out Bob Sayer was in town and it just worked out for him to come bring the word uh, last Sunday evening. How many of you appreciated that message from Brother Bob? That was excellent what he had to share. And so uh, that bumped this message here to tonight. And so I, I believe that when things like that happen, it's under God's uh, providential eye. And so I'm, I'm very hopeful that uh, the people that are here tonight are the people that need to hear uh, this message from Proverbs chapter 28. Amen? And so we're going to look at verse 1, then we'll pray, and then we'll get right into it. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1. It says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would press these truths deep into our hearts tonight. Lord, even as we go out from this place, as we've prayed uh, this week, that we would be used by you to be salt and light, that you would even bring uh, these truths to our remembrance this week. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The righteous are bold as a lion, but the wicked flee when no one pursues. Now, why does it seem so often that the opposite of this statement is true. Doesn't it seem like oftentimes the wicked are bold as lions and the righteous are sort of weak and cowardly and timid? Can we just have some real talk here tonight at Christ is King Church? If we looked at our world, if we looked at our culture today, who would we say are the most bold? Will we say it's the, the, the righteous, the, the Bible-believing, the Christians are, are the ones that are the most bold, the most outspoken? Or, or would we have to be honest and say that it is the unrighteous? I think if we're honest, we would look at the, the current state of our culture and we would say that, no, in fact, the righteous are often cowardly, often quiet, often silent while it is the wicked that are very bold in promoting unrighteousness. Why is this? Why is it this way? Proverbs here is describing for us the way things should be. This is the way things should be in a culture, in a nation, in a society. And certainly in the culture in which this was written to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel... Uh, under the reign of King Solomon, under the law of God, certainly in that culture, it was this way because this is the way it should be. But in our culture where things have been turned upside down, in our culture where God's word, God's law has been rejected, we now find the opposite is true. And the reason is, it's because the wicked, the unrighteous, they believe that they are righteous. 
And the righteous today believe that they are the ones in the wrong, that they are the evil ones, the wicked ones. Let me explain what I mean by that. I'll never forget the culture shock that I experienced when I went to secular university. You see, I had grown up my whole life uh, as a part of a Christian family, member of a Christian church, went to a Christian school. Even after I, I graduated from high school, I went to Bible college. And then I went to secular university after that. And that really was my first exposure to a totally different way of living and a totally different way of thinking. And it was in those classes in secular university that my college professors began to teach about Christians and Christianity. Now, you might say, were you studying religion? Well, no, I was studying mathematics and English and geology and history. No religious classes. I was studying computer and graphic design and Microsoft Word, I used to, they used to take a class on that. and I was astonished at how often the Bible and Christianity and the Apostle Paul came up in my science class and my Microsoft Word class and how antagonistic and against the Bible and Christianity my professors were. It was in secular university that I was taught how horrible Christians were. I, I, that was news to me. Having, having grown up a Christian my whole life, having only ever seen uh, the, the, the blessing of God and, and, and that's on a Christian's life and and the good that Christians endeavor to do in the world as we seek to love our neighbor as ourselves, to, to hear how horrible we were, how close-minded we were, how bigoted we were, how, how phobic we were of everything, how racist we were. They began to trot out the old tropes of everything any Christian had ever done wrong throughout the centuries. The Spanish Inquisition, the Crusades, the Salem witch trials, and, and all of the things, the horrible evils that Christians had done throughout the centuries. That Christians and, and, and Christ through the church were not a force for good in the world, but for evil. And really, the, the what we really needed, they would tell us, they would talk about is if we could eradicate Christianity from the world and religion from the world, it would be a place of peace and prosperity for all. They were sort of living under in, in this delusion of John Lennon's imagine. John Lennon's imagine was sort of their theological statement of faith you know imagine there's no religion it's easy if you try no heaven above us no god above us above us only 
sky, no hell beneath us. Imagine a world living in harmony. That's sort of the the prevailing thought. If only we could get rid of religion, everything would be peaceful and wonderful and we'd all just be hippies in the field smoking pot all day or whatever, I don't know. The great irony of all of this is that I had to go to university to learn this nonsense. The university system that was invented by Christians. <laughs> Without Christians, there would be no universities. It's just the, 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 but nevertheless, this is what was taught. And so we, as Christians, we don't know history. We don't know our own history And so we're taught to be ashamed of our faith because of the the great evils that Christianity has wrought in the world. Now, I'm not saying that every Christian has been perfect and that there haven't been things done by Christians that we would be ashamed of, but we would look at them and say they shouldn't have done them. We would look at them and say, no, they violated the word of God, and the word of God is ultimately the standard. And if you throw out the word of God, you can't say that anybody did anything wrong ever. By what standard do you judge the Spanish Inquisition? By what standard do you judge the Salem witch trials and the crusade? By what standard? Because if you throw out the truth of God's word, all you have is might makes right. All you have is survival of the fittest. All you have is the raw will to power. And so we're taught to be ashamed. We're taught to be afraid. We're taught that we are the unrighteous ones. And so that is on the one hand why the righteous are afraid, why the righteous are timid today, because we are taught that we are the unrighteous. But on the other hand, the unrighteous are taught that they are righteous. From the earliest of ages in our public school system, sins are promoted and elevated as virtues. Children are taught to disrespect their parents. They're taught to undermine the authority of their parents from, from even entertainment to public school classrooms. In many public school classrooms, they have what they call the hero closet where you come into the classroom, you know, dressed and, and carrying the name that your parents gave you and dressed as a boy or a girl, which you are. But then you go into that closet and the teacher set aside a whole separate set of wardrobe. You go into the hero closet and you come out your true identity totally undermining the authority of the parents. Children are taught not to trust their parents in this way. To the point where now in California, the law of the land is now that a child can be taken away from a parent who doesn't affirm their gender identity. That's the law of the land in California today. So, The righteous are told that they are unrighteous. The unrighteous are told that they are righteous and that their cause is just. You you recall back to 2020 when we were all told that, you know, there's this 
virus that's going to kill half the planet and unless we all stay locked down that we're going to, you know, humanity is going to be eradicated. You remember that? I know it's hard to remember, but, but. And so you can't gather for worship. You can't gather to see your family. You, you can't leave your house unless you want to riot in the street. And that's okay. You remember that? If you want to go burn down police stations, that's, that's good. That's a good cause. It's, it's worth risking COVID if you want to do that. But to gather to worship, no, you can't do that. Oh, and by the way, we'll keep the strip clubs open. We'll keep the, 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 the liquor stores open. But we can't gather to worship our God. And so unrighteousness promoted as righteousness and righteousness called evil. I'll never forget during 2020, the light bulb sort of went off for me. Watching, I don't remember what news station it was on, but the news reporter standing there with the Minneapolis police station in flames. All right, They, they had to... The police had to evacuate their police station because it was overrun and set on fire. And behind the news reporter, there goes up the Minneapolis police station in flames and he says, you know, the protests have been mostly peaceful this evening. What? What sort of dystopian universe are we living in? And so here we are. Well, here the Bible calls the wicked are incredibly bold and aggressive and the righteous are weak and afraid and ashamed and timid. And that's the lay of the land. That's where things are, are, are at right now. And so what do we do? Where do we go from here? Well, in any time where there's uh, any sort of crisis, any, any time that we need clarity on anything, the only place and certainly the first place that we should turn to is the Word of God. If we need clarity on anything, it is going to be found right here. And so I want to go to Romans chapter 1 this evening. Well, where do we, how, how do we move from where we are where... The righteous are fleeing and the wicked are bold to the place that Proverbs 28 is talking about. Because I want to live in a world and in a culture and be a part of a church where the righteous are bold as lions. Romans chapter 1, if you'll turn over there with me this evening. My, I have two points tonight. The first point is this, the boldness, these are long points, I'm sorry, I just, it just, I didn't, my, my condensing muscle was not working and so here we are, but the boldness of the unrighteous is an overcompensation for a guilty conscience. That's point one. That's how it can only have two points because they're a whole paragraph. The boldness of the unrighteous is an overcompensation 
for a guilty conscience. Romans 1, verse 18. Well, verse 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the true believer should not be afraid or ashamed, but should be bold in the gospel. But in verse 18, he talks about the ungodly, those who reject Christ, reject God, and reject God's word. In verse 18, he says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Hear this who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That the unrighteous behavior is a compensation to try to suppress the truth. And what is this truth that they're trying to suppress? Well, he says in verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. The unrighteous have set up a system of suppressing the truth, the truth about God that is known to every human being as an image bearer of God. Every human being knows that there is a God. Every human being knows that there is a creator. There can be no creation without a creator. It is impossible. You look at the complexity of our universe. You, you look down to the, the, the DNA and, and the mathematical language that is programmed into the universe. And anybody with with an honest eye that is not suppressing the truth in unrighteousness will look at that and say, there must be a mind behind this universe. That complexity doesn't spring from simplicity. That it takes genius to produce even the most simple of things. Much less the complexities of the universe. Much less the complexities of the human body. You know, you're a walking miracle. You're not just a glob of goop flying through space in an uncaused, unguided, purposeless universe. That's preposterous. And so the unrighteous use evil deeds to try and suppress these truths that there actually is a God above us. That we will all stand before one day and that God has revealed his invisible attributes, his power, his divine nature, and they are clearly perceived. And they are in, perceived in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. So they are without excuse. There is no excuse for unbelief. Paul continues, verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. 
Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. I'm going to skip. Well, I'm just going to read through this. I want to get to verse 29 and 30, but... Uh, Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. As we look at our culture today, we see a culture overrun with dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness. Do we, do, I mean, do we not see covetousness overrunning our culture? It's everywhere. Malice, that, that's punitive, uh, just wanting to see your enemies suffer and hurt and, and, and fail and fall and, and be destroyed. Uh, you could, I mean, if this was translated today, you could just put cancel, cancel culture there instead of malice. That, that's what cancel culture is. It is total malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Verse 32, though they know God's decree... That those who practice these things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So the boldness of the unrighteous is an overcompensation for a guilty conscience. We all stand before God and we know the truth. And so we have one of two things. We can either bow the knee at the foot of the cross and receive grace for our sins or we can try and drown out our conscience through suppressing the truth with sin and unrighteousness. And so because we live in a world that with all of us have guilty consciences, we now live in a culture that is trying to drown out those screams from the conscience. All created in the image of God, we all know God, we all know that he's our creator. Deep down, we know that this is true. He has stamped all of us with his image. And so we know, as he says here, that those who practice such things deserve to die. Because the law of God is written on our conscience as his image bearers. You go back to to, uh, our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they fell into sin... Their first children, Cain and Abel. Cain rises up in anger and he murders his brother. Now that's a long time before God delivered the law on Mount Sinai that said, thou shalt not murder. But when God comes and asks Cain, where is your brother? What does he say? Am I my brother's keeper? I I don't know. I don't know where he's at. You see, Cain knew what he did was wrong. 
because he's an image bearer of God. He, he didn't need the Ten Commandments because we're all written with God's moral code on our hearts. Now, we could try and suppress that truth all we want. But if Cain didn't know it was bad, he would have said, oh, he's in the backfield. I hit him over the head with a rock. What's the problem? But because we're image bearers of God, we know the truth. We know that those who do such things are guilty of sin and that the wages of sin is death. We know this. And so if we are not going to receive the clearing of our conscience through faith in Christ, we must overcompensate to try and drown out our nagging conscience. And we, as God's people, as the righteous, we see this overcompensation and we view it as confidence. We think, wow, they're very confident in their position. They really believe this. Look how confident they are. Look how bold they are. And we buy into it. We buy into the propaganda. Look how self-assured they are. I wish I could be that confident in my faith. But we all know that when you are insecure in one area, you try to overcompensate in another. That's why we all look with pity on the guy driving the huge truck. We're like, well, he's making up for something. You know, I don't know. That's just kind of the way we think, don't we? That when we are weak or when we are uh, afraid or ashamed or when we're embarrassed in one area, we try to overcompensate in another. And so we see this in our culture and we, we, we misunderstand the overcompensation as true boldness and we shouldn't. The unrighteous must be affirmed constantly in their sin to try and drown out their guilty conscience. They, they, it must be a constant affirmation. Uh, otherwise, the, the, the truth bubbles to the surface and they're confronted with their sin immediately. That's why we have to have these rainbow flag parades. You have to have them. That's why you have to celebrate this. And if you don't, you're evil and you're a bigot and you're whatever. Well, why can't they just go on with their life and just do whatever? It's because they must be affirmed in their sin because of their conscience. This is why we don't have parades for people who believe in gravity. I'm very confident in my position in gravity. I don't need a parade to feel good about gravity. This is why we don't have parades for people who believe that two plus two equals four. I'm very confident. I have no issue with that. I don't need to be affirmed in that constantly. But hear me in this. We are mistaking insecurity and overcompensation as true confidence and boldness. There are not pride parades because they're proud. There's pride parades because they're ashamed and desperate to be affirmed in their sin. So, number one, the boldness of the unrighteous is an overcompensation for a guilty conscience. Point number two, long but a little bit shorter, our boldness as Christians is not in our 
righteousness, but in Christ's. Our boldness as Christians is not in our righteousness, but in Christ's. Remember, it is the righteous that are bold as lions. Look here at Romans chapter 3. We were in Romans 1, just one page over. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Romans 3, 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction... For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Listen, we do not stand in our own righteousness, but we have been declared righteous as a free gift of God's grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It is in Christ that we have our confidence. If I'm trusting in myself, I have reason to doubt. I have many reasons to doubt. My righteousness, I know, is as filthy rags, but Christ's righteousness on my behalf is perfect. The spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I am now clothed in his righteousness. No matter my sin, no matter my past no matter what I've done it was laid upon Christ at the cross he bore my sin he bore my shame he bore my penalty and he has clothed me in his righteousness 2nd Corinthians 5 talks about this 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 Verse 17, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Our our guilty conscience clean before God. A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Not through our own good works, not through our own good deeds, not through our own righteousness, not even through our own uh, working up of our feelings towards Christ. No, it is through Christ that we have been reconciled to God. And now he has given us, who believe in him, a ministry of reconciliation So that is in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Oh, that is such good news. All of my sin laid upon him. The worst things I've ever done, the worst things I've ever thought, the worst things I've ever said, 
laid upon Christ, not counting my transgressions against me and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. You are an ambassador for Christ. And what is the message he's given us to the world? Be reconciled to God. The good news, you can have your guilty conscience cleaned. You don't have to live with the guilt and the shame. But you can be set free because Christ took your sin upon his shoulders. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of God, be on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, if you are in Christ today, you are the righteousness of God. Whether you feel like it or not, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have been declared righteous by Almighty God. The, the same word that actively right now sustains the universe is the same word that has been declared over you that you are righteous. You are the righteousness of God. And so our boldness is not in ourselves, is not in our own righteousness, but our boldness. The righteous are bold as lions. Our boldness is in Christ and his all-sufficient work. And if we are confident in the work of Christ, we should be bold as lions. You know, the lion isn't sitting around in its cave worried about what the hyenas are thinking. What are the hyenas going to think about me? If I roar today, the lion's not sitting around wondering what the buzzards think. Listen, the lion's not worried about what anybody thinks. And we too should be bold as lions if we are confident in the work of Christ. You see, the source of my confidence, the source of my boldness is not in my righteousness, but in his. And so if I find in myself, hear me in this, any lack of confidence, it's ultimately rooted in unbelief. Any lack of confidence, any lack of boldness on my part is rooted in unbelief in the work of Christ. Unbelief in the truth of his word that I am righteous, that I have been declared righteous. It's, a, it's, it's an issue of unbelief, which the Bible says is sin which I must confess as sin and repent of. I'm reminded of the, the man who brought his, or went to Jesus and his, his son was sick at home and he went to Jesus and he said, well, can you heal my son? Jesus is like, can I heal your son? 
All things are possible to him who believes. And what does the man say? Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You see, it's possible to believe upon Christ, but still have areas of unbelief in our life about other things, other parts of the word of God and this, that, and the other. And so we need to pray that prayer. Lord, I believe in you, but help my unbelief. Lord, I repent of my unbelief. I I repent of, of not trusting in your word that declares that I am righteous. I repent of my lack of faith and my lack of boldness. You see, if if we don't recognize our unbelief as sin, then we can't repent of it. And if we don't repent of it, it, it stays unconfessed and it continues to remain a stronghold in my life. And so let us pray like this, Father, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I confess my unbelief as sin. Help me to trust in your word. Help me to be bold as a lion, knowing that my boldness is not predicated and dependent upon my righteousness, but on yours. You see, this is why the enemy constantly is working to try to undermine the truth of God's word, to try to sow seeds of doubt into our lives. The first question in the Bible is Satan disguised as the serpent as he goes to Adam and Eve in the garden with the question, half God said, did God really say? Undermining the truth of God's word. And so we live in a day, we live in a culture that is permeated with with undermining the truth of the word of God. Listen, the devil's a liar and he's the father of lies. And so he's working overtime in your heart, in your mind, in your thoughts, in your emotions, in your affections, to try to undermine your confidence in the truth of God's word. But the reason we, the righteous, are bold as lions is because we have the truth on our side and we are on the side of the truth. And we know the truth and the truth has set us free. We know the truth, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And he has set us free. And he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so our confidence is not in ourselves, but in Christ and his perfect work of atonement on the cross. As I was looking over some scriptures for this message, I was struck by how many times in the New Testament it talks about things that we know. Things that we know. And I just, I, I, I hope that you know these things. The, the things that we know as believers. And that these truths are so emblazoned on our hearts because knowing this truth will give us confidence And so I want to read to you a a selection of scriptures just to press these into your heart. I'm not even going to read the, the, the reference. I just want to read this collection of scriptures to you to give you a confidence, to give you a boldness. 
These are the things that we know as Christians. And what we need to do is live like we believe it. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice unrighteousness. And we know that his will, and we know what it is, and approve what is excellent because we are instructed from God's word. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Besides this, you know the time that our hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we believed. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Do you not know that saints will judge the world and if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge judge angels? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality will inherit the kingdom of God. For we know that the tent that is our earthly body is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer every person. Let us not be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted 
to me. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, that we may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. And finally, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Listen, the call to being bold, the call to boldness is a call back to the truth that we know. We know that we are unrighteous in and of ourselves but we also know that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And there is a whole truth that we know. There is a whole body of truth that we know and that we confess. And because we are righteous in Christ, we can be bold in our profession of faith. It's a call back to the truth. It's a call back to the truth that is in Christ and found only in Christ. And so we must steal our hearts on the truth of God's word. This is why the writer of Hebrews says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in help, in a time of help and need. I'm reminded that we have good news to share. We have good news to share. We have the best news to share. We've been entrusted with the greatest message that God sent his son to die for our sins, that he rose again and gives new life to all who will believe. That is good news. That's the good news we have believed. It's the good news that has made us righteous. It's the good news that we stand in and stand on and because of that, we can be bold. May we all be like the Apostle Paul who says, I am not ashamed of the good news because it is the power of God unto salvation. I understand that every time you have an opportunity to share the good news, there is a spiritual battle that is raging. I understand that. And I understand all of the conflicting thoughts about what if I say this and what if I don't say it the right way and what if they respond this way and what if and what if and what if and what if. And you know what all of those thoughts are? You know what those are? Attacks from the enemy. How come we never think, what if I share this and they get saved? What if I share this and they repent? What if their whole family gets saved and gets baptized this week? What if it changes the whole trajectory of this family tree? Why don't we think like that? It's because we're listening to the voice of the enemy. And we need to be like Jesus that says, get behind me, Satan. 
You are thinking about the things of men and not the things of God. The truth is that there is power in the gospel. The power is not in you. The power is not in you. Is, is the, does the crop grow because the farmer has power over the, the, the field? No, the power is in the seed. And the seed is the word of God. And we're called to spread it. We're called to share it. The farmer doesn't know which seeds that he plants are going to grow and bring forth fruit. But what he does know is the more seeds he plants, the more of a harvest there'll be. The power's not in us. The power's in the seed. We're called to share it. We're called to preach it. We're called to be just as bold as a farmer out there. He's not worried about nothing. We just got to pass the word out. We just got to share the good news. And our righteousness is not ours, but it's Christ. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. It is that lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. God, we want to be bold. Lord, we see that the, the, the evil in our day are so emboldened in their uh, works of darkness. But Lord, we know from your word that it is an overcompensation. Lord, let us not buy into the propaganda, but let our hearts be tethered to the truth of your word. Let our thoughts, our actions, our emotions, our affections be trained by your word. And Lord, that you would produce within us a confidence, not in ourselves, not in our own abilities, not in our, our, our rhetoric or, or, or our, even our comprehension of your word, but let us place our confidence solely on the power of the gospel on the power of you, Jesus, who sovereignly reigns from heaven. Let us place our, our confidence in the power of your spirit. Lord, that even as, as Ezekiel saw the valley of dry bones and, and you asked him the question, can these dry bones live? And he said, Lord, you know. But Lord, when you told him to prophesy, when you told him to speak, he was obedient and he spoke your word and, and at the hearing of your word, those bones came to life. And Lord, you've, you've given us your word, this life-giving word. The words that you speak to us are spirit and they are life. And they have the power, just like Lazarus, to call the dead out of the tomb. Those that are spiritually dead to be made alive. If only we will unleash your word. If only we will speak it. If only we will proclaim it. Help us to have minds that are fixed on the things of heaven, not the things of men. That we would go about your business, that we would go about laboring to expand your kingdom. God, I thank you for this people that's heard this word tonight. Lord, I pray that you would make it fruitful, that you would make it profitable, and that we would be bold as lions. And that the world would hear us roar. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.